Okay, welcome aboard to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. You know what I'm going to be doing tonight? I am going to be reading the full text of the paper which I um, delivered at the Left Forum here in New York City at the Consciously Dissident panel which was um, held there by the Marxist Humanist Initiative. And I'm very uh, grateful to my buds for, uh, at the Marxist Humanist Initiative for providing me with a platform for my um, strident dissent from the basic consensus positions on the American left today, which, of course, they share. <laughs> we were kind of like the crank panel, as it were, the, uh, the outcast panel, and that's the only way that I would appear at the left forum because um, the basic consensus positions which we're all supposed to agree upon on the American left have become extremely reactionary. So it would only be in a consciously dissident position that I would agree to um, appear at the left forum. Once again, I, this is uh, this is the text which I delivered in its um, complete form because uh, with the other panelists that I was sharing the platform with, at the Left Forum out at Long Island University in Brooklyn on June 30th, including Ann Jacklard and Andrew Kleinman of the Marxist Humanist Initiative, Eric Andrian, who is joining us by Skype from the United Kingdom, and Jason Stanley, the author of the new book, How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them. I had to um, abbreviate the full rant which I had prepared so I'm going to um, read into the record here on my podcast the complete text of my rant so that um, all of you can uh, take it into consideration and tell me how wrong you think I am. <laughs> and expect to get some pushback from me because actually I'm not wrong. Sorry. So uh, to um, commence... My talk today is on the intentionally provocative, but nonetheless entirely accurate thesis that the consensus position of the contemporary left, quote-unquote, is now pro-fascist. This is not something which I am saying lightly. I am not one of these people who uses the word fascism as a baseball bat to beat up on my enemies. I am using it with an exacting respect for its actual definition. This left, or more accurately, pseudo-left, embrace of fascism is most obvious where Syria is concerned. The regime of Bashar Assad is a fascist regime, a leader-worshipping, one-man autocracy of the far right, in its ideological roots explicitly inspired by Nazi Germany, if you go back to the origins of Assad's Ba'ath Party. When Tulsi Gabbard, now the supposedly anti-war presidential candidate, notoriously met with Assad in 2017, it was as part of a delegation filled with regime sycophants, including adherents of the Syrian Social Nationalist Party, SNNP, which, as its name implies, is a neo-fascist formation. The SSNP was briefly in power in Syria in the 1950s and brought in ex-Nazis to help run the security apparatus in the manner of Bolivia under the right-wing generals. Today, the SSNP is a satellite party 
of Assad's equally fascistic Ba'ath Party, which continued to avail itself of Nazi talent after coming to power in a coup d'etat way back in 1970. And this regime has, over the course of the war in Syria these past eight years, escalated to genocide against perceived sectarian enemies and disloyal elements of the populace, apart from massively bombing civilian populations, reducing cities to rubble, and serially using chemical weapons, the regime has for the past four years been systematically killing thousands of detainees, amounting to a campaign of extermination, quote-unquote, according to a 2016 study by the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights. The report found that crimes against humanity committed by the Assad regime far outnumber those of ISIS and other jihadist groups. And the consensus position of the American left is now one in support of this regime. First, let us dispense with the requisite and knee-jerk disavowal that we inevitably hear. Quote, oh, we don't support the regime, we just oppose U.S. intervention in Syria, unquote. Because that is quite simply a lie. When you parrot regime propaganda, when you depict the Syrian opposition as monolithically jihadist, when you cast doubt on Bashar Assad being behind the serial chemical attacks, when you portray genuinely heroic, unarmed, volunteer civil defense groups like the White Helmets as an arm of al-Qaeda, you are loaning support to the regime and implicitly justifying its massive attacks on civilian populations. This is objectively support of the Assad regime. And if you do not recognize that the pro-Assad position, which in effect means a pro-genocide and pro-fascist position, has become the consensus position of the left in the United States and the West, it is because you don't want to. The evidence is obvious and overwhelming if one chooses to look at it. For over a year now, the group I work with, Syria Solidarity in New York City, has been holding a weekly Syria peace vigil in Union Square every Friday evening, standing most recently against the bombardment of Idlib province and in solidarity with the civil resistance forces that are besieged there. The civil resistance forces around groups such as Radio Fresh and the local coordination committees, the secular, pro-democratic, unarmed opposition that first mobilized against the regime in 2011 and has managed to survive in spite of everything. One evening back in April, we had the most depressing, if not the most physically dangerous, exchange yet in the many months we've been holding the peace vigil. Almost every week, as we stand with the Free Syrian Flag and signs against the bombardment of civilian populations, we get pushback from leftists, quote-unquote. On one occasion, it actually came to violence when a guy wearing a button with the North Korean flag got in my face and took a swing at me, knocking off my cap. But what happened this particular day was more revealing. Some, forgive me, indoctrinated fool who thinks of himself as a progressive and an anti-war type came along and said, Why are you doing this? The Free Syrian Army uses poison gas on children. Quote, unquote. Now, there are so many things wrong with this that I don't even know where to begin. For starters, our signs didn't say anything about the FSA. We support first and foremost the civil resistance in Syria. And secondly, the notion that the rebels themselves use poisonous gas on rebel-held territory is utterly baseless. It is sheer, empty propaganda with nothing to back it up. Any bona fide human rights group 
will tell you that all of the evidence supports the obvious reality that it is the Assad regime that is serially now used poisonous gas against rebel-held territories, which is the logic of the dynamic of insurgency and counterinsurgency. Rebel forces almost never commit those kinds of ghastly atrocities against the civilian population whose hearts and minds they are trying to win in order to be fish swimming in the sea of the people in the dictum of Mao Zedong. And it is counterinsurgent forces, such as most obviously the U.S. using chemical warfare like Agent Orange and Napalm in Vietnam, which resort to those kinds of ghastly extremist tactics against civilian populations. So when I questioned this individual where he had picked up this bit of egregious disinformation, he said, I read it in the newspaper. And when I asked which newspaper, he said, Democracy Now!, which is not a newspaper, but that's beside the point. The point is that Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! have repeatedly put figures like Noam Chomsky on the air to abet this ubiquitous false flag theory. Every time the U.S. carries out or threatens to carry out airstrikes against Assad regime targets in response to a chemical attack, as has now actually happened twice, Chomsky, or some such leftist talking head, appears on Democracy Now! to irresponsibly conjecture that the attack was actually a provocation by the rebels. And they'll be very careful to say, and I paraphrase, well, we don't like Assad, he's not a nice guy, and yeah, he could have done the attacks, but who knows, maybe it was the rebels. Completely irresponsible speculation that then allows listeners like our heckler to take away from the conversation what they want to take away from it, and go away with the impression that the chemical attack was a provocation by the rebels against their own people. And for an example of exactly what I'm talking about, see Amy Goodman's interview with Chomsky on the episode of Democracy Now! that aired April 26, 2017, in the aftermath of the Assad regime's deadly chemical attack at Khan Shikun. You can read it for yourself, or watch it for yourself, and see that Chomsky engages in precisely the kind of cynical, disingenuous, and sinister propaganda that I just described. The outrage over two sets of U.S. airstrikes on Assad regime targets in response to chemical attacks is vividly contrasted with the utter silence from the anti-war left over the virtual destruction of the cities of Raqqa and Mosul by U.S. air power in the campaign against ISIS over the past two years, taking an horrific toll in hundreds and perhaps thousands of civilian casualties to not a peep of protest from the so-called anti-war left. But a few regime warplanes get taken out, the same which were recently used in chemical attacks, and few or no actual lives claimed, much less civilian lives. Then the anti-war hypocrites recover their sense of outrage and take to the streets and decry the airstrikes on democracy now. Clearly what matters are regime warplanes, not Syrian lives, these people are not anti-war, they are pro-war, and there is nothing more repugnant than pro-war propaganda disguised as anti-war propaganda. But it gets worse. Seymour Hirsch has now become what can only be called an open supporter of this genocidal regime. In a December 9, 2013 interview with Democracy Now!, after that year's Gouda chemical attack, he said, quote, inside the intelligence community for the last year, it's been known that the only game in town, whether you like it or don't like it, was Bashar, 
because the opposition was being overrun by jihadists. The only solution for stability was Bashar. You just have to like it or don't like it. End quote. The Nation magazine engaged in active support for the destruction of Aleppo by Assad's and Putin's warplanes in 2016. Stephen Cohen, one of the magazine's stars and a contributing editor, was featured in an online interview on August 17th of that year, once again dutifully parroting the Moscow line on Syria and Ukraine, but the Syria discussion reached an unprecedented nadir, even for him, echoing the standard Russian propaganda trick of conflating all rebel forces with ISIS, even as the Syrian rebels were actually fighting ISIS. Read the introductory text for the interview, quote, Putin needs a decision by Obama now, as the crucial battle for Aleppo intensifies. Putin seems resolved to end the Islamic State's occupation of Syria, Aleppo being a strategic site without or with U.S. cooperation, which he would prefer to have, end quote. Now, what did the Putin-Assad bombing of Aleppo have to do with the fight against ISIS? Absolutely nothing. ISIS was not in Aleppo. Its attempts to establish a stronghold in the city were, in fact, repulsed by the very same rebel forces that Moscow and Damascus were then savagely bombing. So these figures, which are by any definition the leading lights of the contemporary left, have much to answer for in creating a consensus position in favor of a genocidal dictatorship. And we're just talking about the ones who at least have enough sophistication to be dishonest and to ritually disavow Assad even while spreading his propaganda. In contrast are the blatantly pro-Assad factions, which are not merely objectively, but subjectively on the side of the dictatorship. I'm talking principally here about the Answer Coalition, the poorly named Party for Socialism and Liberation, more aptly dubbed the Party for Fascism and Dictatorship, the International Action Center, People's Power Assemblies, and others. These are all entities which emerged one way or another, either as offshoots or front groups, from the Workers' World Party, whose origins go back to elements of the Trotskyist movement, which supported the Soviet invasion of Hungary in 1956 and subsequently started moving back in a pro-Stalinist direction. Today, these groups actually march with portraits of the genocidal dictator Bashar Assad at their hypocritical anti-war rallies. Now, whenever I bring these groups up, I am told, oh, don't worry about them. They are just fringe factions with no real influence. Yet, we continue to show up at their rallies and carry their mass-produced placards with the names and phone numbers of their organizations. In fact, with United for Peace and Justice now effectively moribund, the Answer Coalition is the last mass anti-war organization still standing in the U.S., and it is the one that most aggressively and blatantly promotes Bashar Assad as an icon of anti-imperialism. Incidentally, if you go to the 9-11 Museum, there is actually one anti-war leaflet on display from the outburst of war fever following the disaster, and it is from Answer. So please stop telling me that these sectarian factions don't represent the anti-war movement. Here, in a place where it really matters, displayed for the masses and preserved for posterity, they manifestly do exactly that. Now, 25 years ago, when the wars in Bosnia and Kosovo were underway, 
Workers' World and its most significant front group of the day, the International Action Center, were similarly supporting Slobodan Milosevic. And then it really was a somewhat fringe position. Not a lot of the left followed them into that error, more than should have, certainly. But it never became the consensus position. Today, in contrast, the position in support of the even bloodier Bashar Assad is hegemonic. Further examples. The 2016 U.S. Green Party presidential candidate Jill Stein, disgracefully featured as a speaker here at the left forum, toes the reactionary consensus line on Syria. And her running mate, Ajamu Baraka, is an open Assad supporter. After the dictator's thoroughly controlled pseudo-elections that confirmed his rule in 2014, Baraka hailed this as a repudiation of the West, crowing about Assad's, quote, support, unquote, among the Syrian people, and how the opposition was fomented, quote-unquote, by the gangster states of NATO, quote-unquote. Stein herself, in an interview later scrubbed from the internet in an apparent attempt to hide it, but retrieved by my expert technician, referred to the Gouda chemical attack with no evidence as a, quote, false flag, unquote. Fair, or the increasingly ironically named fairness and accuracy in reporting, has repeatedly dismissed the Syrian opposition as jihadist and or a CIA creation. After the release of the Mueller report, Fair issued a statement berating the media for having hyped the Russian collusion, never revising this position after Mueller made clear that contrary to Attorney General Barr's interpretations, his report did not absolve Trump. The statement from Fair promoted certain journalists as a positive alternative, including the Assad regime flak Rania Kalek and her Kremlin front platform in the now, which is directly funded by RT an organ of Kremlin state propaganda. The holiday fundraising statement issued at the end of last year by Veterans for Peace, another now ironic name, hailed the genocidal Assad regime as the, quote, secular, multi-religious Syrian state, unquote, and again portrayed the opposition as Al-Qaeda and U.S.-created astroturf. The current golden boy of Verso Books, who, by the way, published my last book, is Max Blumenthal, another frequent RT contributor, whose new title, The Management of Savagery, seems to be an exercise in defaming the Syrian opposition in the same terms. He recently said on RT, quote, Ever since I came out in 2016, forcefully against regime change in Syria, I have been targeted by a small collection of neoconservatives and centrist operatives, end quote meaning the people who have protested at his book promotions and events, as I have. Now, needless to say, I am not a neocon, and I am not a centrist, so that's a calumny right there. But if you are against regime change in Syria, you support the regime in Syria. It is one of the tragedies of the whole experience of the Iraq War and the grave damage to political discourse that was done by the damn neoconservatives that the term regime change has now become synonymous with foreign imperialist meddling in the Middle East. Because Bush and the neocons took up the term and applied it to their Iraq adventure, which was an arbitrary and unprovoked imperialist invasion, there is still this unwarranted stigma that attaches to the term regime change. 
Now, if you look at the term's meaning merely objectively, regime change is not only something that we should all support under every dictatorial regime on the planet, of which there are many, regardless of which imperial camp it is in, but it is also something that the people of Syria and the rest of the Arab world have been fighting and dying for ever since 2011, under the slogan, if I am pronouncing it correctly, Ash Shab Yorid Iskat An Nizam, the people demand the downfall of the regime. That was the slogan that was taken up by the Arab masses in 2011, and is still the slogan that animates the struggles that are continuing today in Syria, in Sudan, in Algeria, and elsewhere around the Arab world. The people demand the downfall of the regime, meaning the regimes that were the allies and the clients of U.S. imperialism, such as those in Egypt and Tunisia and Yemen and Jordan and Bahrain, also the regimes that made a pretense, I would say, of opposing U.S. imperialism, such as that of Muammar Gaddafi in Libya and that of Bashar Assad in Syria. All of these regimes were equally dictatorships, and the Arab Revolution were swept like a wave from one country to another in 2011, and is really still going on today, opposed dictatorship because it was dictatorship, not because it was a dictatorship backed up by one world power or another. And making it all about the United States is, perversely, a form of nationalism. It is completely U.S.-centric. You are still placing the U.S. at the heart of the moral universe, whether you view it as uniquely good, like the neocons, or you view it as uniquely evil, it is equally an imperial point of view, which some have termed imperial narcissism. Now, as leftists, if indeed we remain leftists, we should be supporting revolutionaries. If you do not support revolution, you are a counter-revolutionary and a reactionary. So I find it very ironic that Max Blumenthal accuses me and my friends of being neocons and centrists. I would argue, as long as we are so interested in name-calling Mr. Blumenthal, that you are the counter-revolutionary and reactionary and pro-fascist. And this aligning with the oppressor in Syria is by no mean an isolated error, but is indicative of a deeper malady. Max Blumenthal recently plugged on Twitter the work of another veteran of Russian state media, Alex Rubenstein, who bashed the Hong Kong protesters as co-opted because a little money from the National Endowment for Democracy may have found its way to some of them. But the irony and hypocrisy of this criticism is a secondary point. What these guys really appear to be motivated by is a visceral fear and hatred of revolution and popular movements and a longing for rule by strongmen. A final personal experience to relate concerns the War Resisters League, the venerated anti-war organization that emerged out of efforts to oppose military conscription in World War I. I was never formally a member, but I worked intermittently with WRL for something like 30 years, supporting the anti-militarist and pro-coexistence forces in all of the ex-Yugoslav republics back in the 90s, the autonomous peace communities in Colombia, the leftist civil resistance in Iraq after the U.S. invasion. I represented WRL at two anti-war conferences in Japan aimed at building solidarity with the Iraqi civil resistance. And throughout this period, I'd been dissenting from their willingness to sign as co-sponsors in so-called anti-war 
demos with Workers World and its front groups and splinter organizations. I argued that by doing so, WRL is betraying everything that it stands for. Finally, last year, after I continued to issue such protests, my old comrades at WRL blocked me on Facebook. And I continue to get no response from my longtime friends and comrades in the organization when I ask them when they are going to have the discussion that needs to be had about this contradiction. So after all of these years of working with WRL to support nonviolent opposition movements in ex-Yugoslavia, in Colombia, and Iraq, I seem to have come to a parting of the ways with them because of my support for a truly heroic nonviolent opposition movement in Syria. Rather than forthrightly taking that side in Syria, they've largely remained silent. They've put out a couple of good statements over the years which are basically saying the right thing about Syria, but not once, despite my repeated invitations, have they sent anyone to stand with us in our Syria peace vigils in Union Square, and they continue to betray what they supposedly stand for by allying with groups that actively support the war criminal Bashar Assad. And on the subject of the deeper malady at work here, this embrace of fascism overseas has very disturbing implications for our ability to resist it here at home. Now, the U.S. is not yet a fascist state. The rudiments of bourgeois democracy are under attack here, but they're still in place. Donald Trump, however, is a fascist. If we go down the checklist of the essential characteristics of a fascist leader, they are all there. Ugly ultranationalism that seeks to correct perceived humiliation, xenophobia and demonization of the other, exaltation of the great leader, fetishization of violence, contempt for democracy, enthusiasm for military aggression, populism tinged with anti-Semitism, and rank anti-intellectualism. And among those who have portrayed the fascistic Trump as the lesser evil to the neoliberal Hillary Clinton are Jill Stein, John Pilger, and Slavoj Zizek. Glenn Greenwald leads the pack of so-called leftist voices that seek to exonerate Trump of collusion with Putin. And not incidentally, he's one of the biggest boosters of Julian Assange, whose accredited agent in Belarus was Israel Shamir, an open and undisguised anti-Semite and supporter of the dictatorship of Alexander Lukashenko. This dictator, in his wave of repression in 2010, in which hundreds were arrested for peaceful protest, claimed that WikiLeaks gave him intelligence on who to detain. An affair about which, by the way, WikiLeaks has never come clean. Initially, there was a resistance, quote-unquote, mobilizing in response to Trumpism. But it has been pretty quiet now that an actual concentration camp system is being consolidated in the United States. Contrary to the pervasive worse is better logic, it is Trump who is getting away with far more than Obama and Clinton did to virtually zero protest from the left. Civilian casualties of U.S. airstrikes in Syria and Iraq have jumped dramatically since Trump took over. And all of the people who relentlessly baited Hillary as a warmonger are utterly silent because Trump is openly on the same side as Putin and Assad, backing up the dictator instead of backing the revolutionaries as Obama did in Libya 
with far lesser civilian casualties. The conventional wisdom that leftists only protest Republican warmongers is now a perfect reversal of reality. So, what do we do about all this? Well, for starters, there are um, generally younger and newer formations on the left that are not co-opted by fascism, and we should be vigorously supporting them. Rise and Resist is going to be protesting the ICE Gulag tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. in Grand Central Station, and I'm going to try to be there. Serious Solidarity NYC is pushing the issue at our ongoing Union Square vigils every Friday, and we coordinate with a national network called the Committee in Solidarity with the People of Syria, or CISPAS. In Palestine solidarity efforts, I support Jewish Voice for Peace and Adala, New York. I do not support al Auda, which is in the workers' world orbit. And there are groups such as War Resisters League and Democratic Socialists of America that are basically going along with the pro-fascist consensus, but can perhaps still be saved from being completely co-opted by fascism if a conscious struggle is waged in these organizations. But it has to be a conscious struggle. And pushing the issue aside in the supposed interest of unity is a part of the problem. All right, so there is the complete and unredacted text of my uh, contribution to the Marxist Humanist Initiative panel at the Left Forum on June 30th, which was, by the way, entitled Confronting the Resurgence of Authoritarianism Right and Left, with left in quotation marks as well it should be. All right, before I wrap it up here, I've just got a, um, a couple of more things to say. One of which is um, that the paper that I just read, the complete and unabridged version <laughs> of the uh, somewhat abridged talk that I gave at the left forum, is extremely facts-heavy, like everything that I write. And uh, I believe in letting the facts speak for themselves. So um, if anybody has any questions about the documentation of any of the facts which I presented, well, they are all on my website. They are all documented on my website, countervortex.org. You should be able to find them there using the search engine. If for any reason you can't find them, send me email using the contact form on the website, and I will send you the documentation. I stand 100% behind every allegation that I made in this paper. Ironclad accuracy, because that's how I roll. All right. The second thing to be said is uh, that I did not, in fact, make it to the rise and resist protest against the ICE gulag up at Grand Central Station on July 1st. But I did, however, make it to the Lights for Liberty demonstration in Foley Square on Friday, July 12th, which was a part of um, a national mobilization by that name against the ICE Gulag. I was there with my uh, Syria Solidarity NYC crew. We had a little contingent there with the Free Syrian flag. And uh, that was um, a big and spirited and very positive rally. And uh, the fact that it happened and the fact that it was a part of a national mobilization gives me a little bit of hope that there are um, still significant elements of the left which um, are rising to the occasion of protesting the fascist order which is being consolidated here in the United States without 
being paradoxically co-opted by fascism itself. And the uh, lead organizer of this mobilization was the New Sanctuary Coalition, about which I have nothing bad to say. And in fact, all of the, uh, the co-sponsors, which um, served as uh, you know, co-organizers of the, uh, the Lights for Liberty mobilization, are also groups about which I have nothing bad to say. So, uh, like I say, there are still some elements of the left which are not yet co-opted by fascism <laughs> and perhaps can be saved from being co-opted by fascism. But the threat is there. And what was demoralizing about the Lights for Liberty rally down at Foley Square was that it was absolutely filled, as any such uh, rally in New York City is absolutely filled by all of these um, sectarian left organizations which are essentially trying to, you know, piggyback off of the rally in parasitical manner and um, exploit it for their party-building endeavors. All right, now um, I'm just going to go through some of the uh, the leaflets that I picked up. Uh, just a, um, a sampling of the literature which was being massively distributed there by all the various alphabet soup factions um, which were out there in force that day as at every left rally in New York City. Before I do that, I have one thing to say, which is that um, the, uh, the panel that I spoke on at the left forum, as I noted, was organized by the Marxist Humanist Initiative. And uh, let me make clear here, lest anybody have any um, delusions to the contrary, that it does not fall into the category of, uh, you know, one of these party-building sectarian outfits. Uh, I strongly urge people to um, check out their website, the Marxist Humanist Initiative, marxisthumanistinitiative.org. <laughs> they make um, great pains to emphasize that they are not a Leninist or vanguardist organization, and they are not trying to um, install themselves in the leadership of the movement, and they are not trying to build a party. They are trying to propagate ideas and to spark very, very badly needed dialogue about some of the critical questions. And, uh, well, if you want to follow, uh, you know, their history, they uh, emerged from a thinker by the name of Raya Dunayevskaya, who had actually been Trotsky's secretary and I believe actually uh, witnessed his assassination down in Mexico in 1940, uh, but later went uh, beyond Trotsky in her criticisms of Stalin and of the Soviet Union, as the name implies, emphasizing the um, humanist side of uh, the Marxist tradition and not the, you know, the brutal inhuman side, which was represented by the Soviet Union, at least after Stalin took power. And today, their followers in the Marxist humanist tendency are forthrightly opposed to these various dictatorial regimes around the world, such as Bashar Assad and so on. And uh, none of them, none of the various organizations of the, uh, the Marxist humanist tendency today are, uh, are interested in building a party. That is absolutely not what they're about. And in fact, they were not out there at Foley Square on Friday, you know, giving out their pamphlets and attempting to, um, you know, exploit the event for party-building purposes. So that's the first point that needs to be made in, uh, in reference to them. They have explicitly disavowed party-building and um, 
and vanguardism, and they are about propagating ideas and dialogue, not about party building. The second thing is that um, while uh, I appreciate the work of the Marxist Humanist Initiative very much, and, uh, you know, I've read the writings of Ryazanayevskaya, a lot of her more uh, philosophical works kind of go over my head, I will be quite frank. I'm not much of a theory guy, but um, her uh, works of uh, political analysis, such as Marxism and freedom and philosophy and revolution, are well worth the effort. Uh, but the second thing that I have to say is um, that uh, while I'm sort of, uh, you know, I work with the Marxist Humanist Initiative on a kind of an ad hoc basis, just as I used to with the War Resisters League, I'm not a member. And uh, in my own personal politics, uh, I'm more um, anarchist-leaning. Although um, I have to say that uh, <laughs> increasingly I find my buds in the Marxist Humanist Initiative to be a lot more astute on many issues than uh, and more forthright, certainly, um, on many issues than a lot of my anarchist buds are. But still, nonetheless, in my heart of hearts, I'm an anarchist. So uh, that's the second thing that needs to be said. All right, so just to get that out of the way, um, let me go through you know, all of the, uh, the leaflets that I picked up at the, um, at the Lights for Liberty demonstration uh, down in Foley Square on Friday, all of which are from these sectarian party-building alphabet soup factions, or their front groups. The first one is from Refuse Fascism, which is a front group for the Revolutionary Communist Party. And uh, what's particularly frustrating about them is that Refuse Fascism is actually one of the few groups out there which is actually saying what needs to be said about Donald Trump. Stop the raid, stop the torture, close the concentration camps, organize now for mass nonviolent sustained protest to demand this nightmare must end, the Trump-Pence regime must go. So, I mean, they're calling for, you know, massive popular mobilization to drive out the Trump regime and, uh, you know, like broaching a general strike and stuff like that, which, by the way, Andrew Kleinman of the Marxist Humanist Initiative did as well on the panel at the left forum. Uh, the difference is that um, refused fascism ultimately is using this demand for purposes of party building. They are completely controlled by the Revolutionary Communist Party, which is an extremely cultish organization with a really embarrassing personality cult around their uh, their great leader Bob Avakian. And you know, they used to be uh, they used to emphasize Mao more than they did Bob Avakian. They used to be, you know, rather embarrassingly Maoist. <laughs> but now they aren't even talking about Mao Zedong so much as they're talking about Bob Avakian and treating him as, you know, the great helmsman who's going to lead the revolution, which is even more embarrassing. So um that's what's maddening about refuse fascism is that they're actually saying what needs to be said, but they're, uh, you know, it's, it's basically controlled by a cult, you know, by a personality cult. And I'll also say that, you know, in terms of their actual politics, the Revolutionary Communist Party is not the worst. I mean, they at least they're smart enough not to rally around Putin and Assad, uh, you know, and Xi Jinping. I'll give them that. They particularly hate Xi Jinping as, you know, a so-called revisionist who has betrayed the legacy of Mao. So, you know, I'll give them that. 
you know, they're not the worst, but, you know, the worst are so goddamn bad that that's not really saying very much. And they still are, you know, a uh, sectarian party building organization and extremely cultish, even more cultish than the uh, than some of the ones which actually have worse politics. All right. Moving on. Here we have something from the International Action Center, which, as noted before, is a front for the Workers' World Party. In terms of, um, you know, their, their actual politics, their actual political line, Workers' World is the very worst of the worst. They were the ones who, you know, rallied uncritically around Slobodan Milosevic back during the wars in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia, in the 1990s, and then again around Saddam Hussein, 10, 15 years ago, and are now rallying uncritically around Bashar Assad. So um, they're just the worst of the worst. I've already ranted about them. I'll say no more. Okay, now we've got the Progressive Labor Party. I can't believe that the PLP is still actually hanging on after all of these years. Uh, I believe that they also consider themselves to be Maoist, or at least they did back in the day. They kind of soft-pedal it now. Um, smash anti-immigrant racism everywhere. Okay, fine demand. But then the subhead on the leaflet reads, liberal fascism is the main danger. So, you know, here we go again, that the real danger isn't Trump. No, the real danger is the liberal Democrats. Now, I by no means hold the damn Democrats above criticism, not by any stretch of the imagination. And, uh, you know, liberal acquiescence with fascism is definitely something which demands criticism. You know, for instance, in their efforts to try to uh, win a deal with uh, with Donald Trump during the uh, during the government shutdown earlier this year, you know, the Democrats were um, you know approving funding for uh, you know uh, enhanced border fencing as opposed to in the actual border wall that Trump was demanding. Well, I don't know what enhanced border fencing means or how it differs from a wall. Yeah, I oppose that. That was a capitulation to Trumpism. Absolutely. Demands criticism. But um, there's two points to be made here. One is that, you know, this notion of liberal fascism is the main danger. Well, for starters, liberal fascism is an oxymoron. Fascism is inherently anti-liberal. Liberal capitulation to fascism is a problem. Liberal acquiescence with fascism is a problem, okay? But liberal fascism is just like not a thing, doesn't exist. It's an, it's an inherent contradiction in terms. And secondly, you know, once again, the main danger, no, the main danger is Donald Trump and the forces that he represents. And the, you know, the, the liberal Democrats are to be called out. And yes, are in fact to be called out, but to be called out for acquiescing in Trumpism and capitulating to Trumpism. They are not the main danger. The main danger is Donald Trump. And, to, you know, this late in the day with a damn concentration camp system being established in this country to be talking about, you know, the liberals as the main danger is just like so deluded. I don't even know where to begin. My God. All right, what else have we got here? Uh, okay, something from the Freedom Socialist Party. Eh, not the worst, but they're still a party. They're still, you know, exploiting the uh, the whole affair for party-building purposes. All right, then we've got another one. This is interesting. I was not aware that the so-called World Socialist website has actually got a party. 
I never liked them very much. It was obvious to me that they had a a, um, a vanguardist mentality, but now they seem to actually have a party called the Socialist Equality Party, and uh, they were also out there trying to build support for their party. And, uh, you know, I mean, before we even get to the very worst of the worst, which is the leaflet that I'm saving for last, you know, I just want to make the point that, you know, these are the leaflets which I picked up. These were the leaflets which were being, you know, massively distributed at Lights for Liberty. And the placards which were being, you know, massively held aloft at Lights for Liberty were overwhelmingly, not by any means uniformly, but probably in the majority, were mass-produced by these various alphabet soup factions, including some of the worst ones, like Workers' World and its various front groups, and the one which I'm going to talk about next. And what has all this got to do, all of these leaflets that I just read, what have any of them got to do with movement building? Nothing. It's not about movement building. It's about party building. It's about exploiting the attempt at movement building to advance a particular sectarian political party, which, you know, they think Workers' World Party, Progressive Labor Party, Revolutionary Communist Party, etc., etc. They think that whether by means of electoral politics or insurrection that, you know, they are going to install themselves in power which is an exceedingly unlikely proposition to begin with. But that's the fact that they're living in a fantasy world is really a secondary point. The primary point is that all of this is destructive to the aim of actually building a movement at this moment when it is urgently mandated, when, when something like fascism is actually being consolidated in this country and there is an incipient concentration camp system coming together, this is not the hour to be getting out there and saying, follow our party, we have all the answers. And I'll emphasize again that me and my buds in the Marxist Humanist Initiative and, and the uh, Serious Solidarity in New York City we are not aspiring to lead anybody. We are not attempting to, you know, build a party or install ourselves in power. We are trying to advance a particular point of view, which anybody who's participating in a movement has got a right and, in fact, a responsibility to do. But that's a different story from actually trying to, you know, exploit the movement to build your particular political party, which is going to advance your leadership. And the worst thing about it is that, once again, a lot of these organizations, in addition to exploiting the mobilization for, for party-building purposes, they've also got really, really bad pro-fascist politics to varying degrees. And the worst of the worst, the uh, leaflet that I have been saving for last from the Party for Socialism and Liberation, quote-unquote, which I prefer to call the Party for Fascism and Dictatorship, with Party for uh, Socialism and Liberation is a recent offshoot from the Workers' World Party. They had a faction fight a few years ago, but it wasn't about anything which is uh, at all substantial. It was merely, it seems to have been a, um, a clash of personalities or a turf war. And this Party for Socialism and Liberation, which is the main, now the main organizational force behind the Answer Coalition, which is the group which literally, literally, in their bogus hypocritical so-called anti-war demonstrations march with portraits of 
Bashar Assad and openly support a genocidal and fascist dictatorship. And here they are giving out a leaflet as they were holding a banner down at Foley Square that says, free the children, close the camps. This coming from a party that openly supports a regime that is running concentration camps, which are a gazillion times worse than the ones which are now coming together in this country. All I can say is, get the fuck out of here. Okay, this has been The Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Be in touch to tell us what you think. Join us next time. Join the resistance. Join the Counter Vortex.